idea for today is this. God provides comfort through speaking, being, and giving. Peace to you, friends and members. Well, my name is Luke. Again, it is an honor to study God's Word with you this morning. We'll see in our passage today that the Word of our God will stand forever. And this Word is a living Word because God's Holy Spirit enabled Christians to understand this Word and apply it to all of us, even though we all are different. It is truly an honor to be in God's Word this morning. And as we start this morning, let me start with a question. Have you ever felt uncomfortable? Or are you currently feeling uncomfortable? I'm sure we all have felt uncomfortable at one time or another, right? Maybe in big and small ways. Well, two weekends ago, my family went camping with our son's Cub Scout group. We spent a day and a half outdoor and slept overnight in tents. I didn't take a shower or change clothes because it wasn't very convenient, so by the end, I felt physically uncomfortable. My legs were dusty from the field, my clothes were smoky from the campfire, my face was oily, not being washed, and my hair was matted down from wearing a hat the whole time. I was physically very uncomfortable. By the time we were driving home, all I wanted was to take a shower and to change to be comfortable. Well, that was one kind of feeling uncomfortable, physically uncomfortable. What about another way we have felt uncomfortable? I know it is uncomfortable when unexpected things keep happening, right? Last week, my family was unexpectedly locked down in our home because our kids are on a bus with someone who is a close contact. I know two weeks ago, having to have our Sunday meetings in three homes was uncomfortable at times for many of us. It was mentally uncomfortable. First, it was being told we cannot meet here and have to figure out where to meet. Then it is trying to find our ways to these meeting locations and perhaps worry about being locked down somewhere unexpected, and finally having to deal with an unstable Zoom connection I'm sure also made some people felt uncomfortable. It is mentally uncomfortable for many of us having to constantly deal with unexpected things. How about something even more personal that make us emotionally uncomfortable? Maybe some of us are suffering being in a conflict with another. We are suffering emotionally. There are disagreements or fights. We are hurt or have been hurt. We are emotionally uncomfortable and strong emotion, emotions are being ex expressed or perhaps repressed. We might be emotionally on fire or maybe emotionally numb. Either way, 
we are uncomfortable and unsettled emotionally. Maybe we're so uncomfortable that we can't sleep, or we are depressed, or we can't think straight, we, or we might be fixated on, on certain things. It is just uncomfortable, and I think our natural instinct is that we desire to be comfortable, right? So what do we do when we're uncomfortable? Where do we find comfort? For some of us, we might try to do something fun to distract us maybe. We might try to eat things we love, and we even call them comfort foods, to soothe us perhaps. Maybe we go another route to find comfort or relief. We complain about things. We complain about others because we think those things or people are making us uncomfortable. Maybe we direct our discomfort outward thinking we can remove them by hurling these uncomfortable feelings at others through complaints. Well, some of us maybe just try to numb our senses so we don't feel the discomfort, right? We look at screens to not think about these discomforts where we take different substances like painkiller or alcohol to quote-unquote calm our senses. We may even think just avoiding trouble and hardship can keep us from discomfort. Well, unfortunately, true comfort is not found in pleasure. It's not found in complaining. It's not found in numbing. It's not found in avoiding difficulties. I believe our passage today will point us to the source of true comfort, which is God himself. That God does provide comfort, but maybe not in the way or in the timing we expect. So we're back in the book of Isaiah again today. If you haven't been with us, we have been going through the first part of Isaiah whenever I preach this year. Last time we left off at Isaiah chapter 12. But today we're going to jump to the second half of the book of Isaiah, going to chapter 40, to get a balance of Isaiah's whole message. So we know Isaiah's message from God to the people of Israel is that God will bring judgment, but God also promises salvation to his people. The book of Isaiah can be split into two major parts. Part one from chapter one to 39, talking about the coming judgment for Israel's rebellion and also God's judgment for other nations. Part two from chapter 40, To 66, Isaiah shifts to speak about the comfort of a hope of the promised salvation after this judgment. So we're going to shift to this second part for a bit, starting in chapter 40 today. As we go into chapter 40, you will notice the perspective or voice of the speaker is a little different. It is now speaking to the Israelites in exile in Babylonian captivity, which Isaiah already prophesied about from the first part. So in the first part, Isaiah, he not only prophesied about the Assyrian invasion, he also foretold that eventually the Babylonians will overtake the Assyrians and take the Israelites into exile, away from their country. But now in chapter 40, the writer is speaking from the perspective of after the exile. So in the biblical historical timeline is a time of Ezra and Nehemiah, 
when the Israelites start to come back to Jerusalem from their exile by the Babylonians. This happened some 200 years after Isaiah's time. So who's writing this in Isaiah 40? Now I think it is still Isaiah writing, but prophetically writing from the perspective of addressing the Israelites during the Babylonian exile about the time after the exile. So God reveals to Isaiah prophetically about what will happen. In chapter 40, God, through Isaiah, starts to announce this future hope that has come and that there is comfort for Israel. Well, so the questions we will answer today is how does God provide comfort? How does God provide comfort to the Israelites and how does God provide comfort to Christians now? The main idea for today is this. God provides comfort through speaking, being, and giving. And the three ways that God provides comfort through speaking, through being, through giving also forms our outline for today. So our question, how does God provide comfort? Number one, God provides comfort by speaking, verses 1 to 11. And number two, God provides comfort by being, verses 12 to 26. And number three, God provides comfort by giving, verses 27 to 31. Some of you might think, well, we just answered our question for today. Well, now I can go and take a nap. Well, I really hope you won't because we want to see from God's word today, God provides comfort by speaking what? God provides comfort by being what? And finally, God provides comfort by giving what? What does God speak? What is his being? And what does he give that is comforting? So let's pay attention and find out in Isaiah chapter 40. Let's dive into God's word. Verses 1 through 11. God provides comfort by speaking. Let's find out what he speaks. Verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. As we mentioned earlier, these words are from God addressing Israelites in the Babylonian exile. Jerusalem here represents the Israelites. Speak tenderly in verse 2. It's also translated to speak comforting words to Jerusalem. What are these comforting words? Well, that warfare is ended, that their war with Babylonians is ended, which means their exile will be ended. Israel's iniquity or sins and evil is pardoned because Israel had received judgment or punishment from the Lord for these sins. This prophecy by Isaiah was fulfilled when the Israelites returned to Jerusalem around 538 B.C. But God, through Isaiah, is also speaking and prophesying to a greater fulfillment, pointing to our sins, causing us to be at war with God. That when Jesus received on the cross the punishment for our sins, our iniquity or our sins are pardoned. That we can be comforted knowing we are no longer, quote-unquote, exiled apart from God. 
God is speaking hope of this greater ultimate fulfillment through Jesus. And this hope from God is comfort for all God's people. Friends here, if you have not yet believed that Jesus received on the cross the punishment for our sins, there is still time now before Jesus' second coming. And this is the gospel. When you repent, acknowledging your sinful heart, and believe Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross for us, our sins are pardoned. And we are no longer called enemies of God, but friends of God. This is what the Bible tells us. This is the message of the gospel, and I pray that God will help you to believe. Again, members at this church would love to help you understand if you have questions. So please, please come to me or come to others. We might not have all the answers, but we can pray for God to give understanding. Let's continue. We'll see this prophecy of greater fulfillment in Jesus even more clearly. So let's look back in verse 3. Verse 3. A voice cries, In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill made low. And uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry. And I say, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Here, Isaiah hears a voice. You know, this voice seems like a heavenly voice. You know, could be a voice of an angel or maybe God himself. We don't know for sure. But Isaiah records what the voice says. Prepare the way. Making the pastry, making the way level and smooth. Essentially, clearing any obstacles for God. And the voice says, the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And that this is a promise from God because it is from the mouth of the Lord, says verse 5. And the word of God will stand forever, says verse 8. Now we know that Jesus is the fulfillment of this revealed glory of the Lord because in the gospel by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all pointed to John the Baptist as the one Isaiah here is referring to, as the one preparing the way for the Lord. And Jesus is the one that John's message of repentance for forgiveness of sin is preparing for. Listen to Matthew 3, verse 1 to 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. With that, repentance is a way to clear the obstacle in one's heart to be prepared to receive the glory of Jesus. And Jesus himself affirms that he is the one that John is preparing the way for. Listen to Matthew 11, verse 2 to 6. 
Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciple and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you heard and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus answered John the Baptist by affirming that he is the fulfillment of various prophecies in the scripture from actually from our book Isaiah that we're studying. The blind receive sight, which is from Isaiah 35.5. The lame walk, which is from Isaiah 35.6. Lepers are cleansed, Isaiah 53.4. The deaf hear, Isaiah 29.18. The dead are raised up, Isaiah 26.19. Good news preached to the poor, Isaiah 61.1. Jesus was answering emphatically, that I am the glory of God prophesied and revealed. Look at Verse 5 in our text today. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, from the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Jesus is the glory of God prophesied and revealed. God spoke and promised this hope that we know now is pointing to Jesus. The fulfillment of the gospel. Not only did God speak it, Isaiah says, you can bank on it or you can bet your life on it because verse 8 says, the word of God will stand forever. God's word is not like grass or flower that withers or fade, that God's word will stand forever. This so we can be secure in God's word, secure in God's promises. This is comforting. This is a comforting hope because it is a secure hope. This is a comforting hope because it is a secure hope. So let's go back to the text, continuing in verse 9. It says, Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the city of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God come with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather them, he will carry them in his bosom, and gently lead those that are with young. So with this secure hope, Isaiah exhorted the Israelites to go up on a mountain and lift up your voice to proclaim the good news. So what is this good news? And the verse 9 says, Behold your God, or look at your God. Just look at him. You know, what is this God like? The Lord is both mighty and gentle. Beginning of verse 10, God come with might, but the end of verse 11 says, gently he leads. The Lord is both mighty and gentle, strong and loving. This is a picture of Jesus' second coming, that he is coming with might, for all those who believe in him. This is why people like John the Baptist in Jesus' first coming had questioned for Jesus because at that time Jesus didn't quite match this picture prophesied about the coming Messiah. But this is who Jesus is, both strong 
and mighty and also still a shepherd gently and lovingly gather his lambs. This is the good news. The gospel for those that believe in Jesus or for people before Jesus' first coming, believing that God will die in Messiah was fulfilled by Jesus. So how does God provide comfort through these words? The first way we learn today is God provides comfort by speaking hope through the gospel. Knowing that we are no longer exiled away from God, no longer enemies of God, that a level path through Jesus to God, God provides comfort by speaking hope through the gospel. And God is able to keep his promises because he is nothing like people. In verse 7, people when compared to God are like grass, grass that withers and fades. If we are to find comfort and place hope in God, it would be helpful to understand more what God is like. So what is God like? You know, the next section we will see a series of rhetorical questions to show us who God is, who God is. Verse 12 to 26. God provides comfort by being great above the heavens and the earth. God provides comfort by being great above the heavens and the earth. Let's read, starting at verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked out the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighted the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man show him his counsel? Whom did his consult? And who made, his, who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? So first, verse 12 says, God measured and created the world. Second, God taught and created understanding. Verse 14 says, He did not need to consult anyone created knowledge and justice. So let's keep reading. Verse 15. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as dust on the scales. On the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. Nations are like nothing when compared to God. Verse 15 says, They are like a drop of water in a bucket or dust on a scale, an insignificant amount. In verse 16, Lebanon, which is known for its great cedar trees, even all of those trees would not be enough for fuel to make a burnt offering or sacrifice to God. Nations, when compared to God, are less than nothing. And emptiness, it says at the end of verse 17. I don't know about you. Nations today doesn't feel like nothing or emptiness to me. For one, we live in a nation that is quite powerful and strong at the moment. It is the most populous country which come with it the largest economy and the largest military. And currently it is ranked 
the second wealthiest nation in the world behind, you guessed it, the United States. Britain is one of the fastest growing economy and the largest manufacturer and exporter globally. Politically, it also has the strongest leader in recent history. Good or bad, we can debate, but politically strong, we can probably all agree. You know, I find myself talking to my mom in the US, comparing the two countries quite often. I also find myself talking to one of the factory contacts I have through work about the strengths and weaknesses of these systems often. And one thing I'm reminded from these verses is that I might be talking too much about the nations and don't focus enough on God. Instead of relying or fearing the strength and weaknesses of the nation, I need to focus more on the greatness of God, which should make the nations pale in comparison. So brothers and sisters, how about you? What do you talk about with your families, friends, and, and co-workers? Are we talking too much about the nations? Do we get wrapped up in debates and news and policies of the different countries? I'm not saying we shouldn't care or be aware of current events of our world, but where is our God in those conversations? How we made these nations out to be bigger than God? God who created the world, God who chose the Israel nations and have miraculously sustained it through history, God who sent Jesus into history to die for our sins and then raise him from the dead, God who resides through the Holy Spirit in each believer. Do you know the greatness of our God? If not, brothers or sisters, or even if you just don't feel the greatness of our God, here are some suggestions. Or one way, be in a Bible study to know what God did in the Bible. Be in a Bible study to know what God did in the Bible. A second way, find a mentor. Find a mentor to know what God did in someone else's life. Find a mentor to know what God did in someone else's life. And a third way, read a book. Read a book about the greatness of God. Here are some books currently on our book table, and you can go there and find it after the service. The first book, Here I Stand, A Life of Martin Luther. Here I Stand, A Life of Martin Luther. A book about this important reformer pointing to the greatness of God. A second book, Marks of a Messenger. Marks of a Messenger. A book on evangelism a book on evangelism, again, pointing, pointing to the greatness of God. And a third book, When People Are Big and God Is Small. When People Are Big and God Is Small. You know, a book addressing the fear of people and again, pointing to the greatness of God. And these and there are many other books that helps remind us of the greatness of God. So we can read these books to help us as well. So we should continue. So who will you compare God to? Who will you compare God to? Isaiah asked the same question to the Israelites. 
So let's keep reading verse 18. To whom then will you liken God? Will what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Again, what is God like? Isaiah now is mocking people who worship idols, an idol that is created by man, one that will not move. How can an idol that is created by man compare to God who is the creator? God who is active in bringing about his promises through history? Nothing can come close in comparison to God's greatness. So then, God, so then Isaiah goes on to write you know, in verse 21, Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understand from the foundation of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes, prince to nothing, and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely have their stem taken root in the earth, when he blows on them, and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Well, Paul also tells us in Romans that people are without excuse for not knowing God. So listen to Romans 1, verse 19 to 20. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. God's power can be seen in creation, even though God sits above the heavens and the earth, says verse 22. There is no one and there is nothing that can compare with God. He is the Holy One, says verse 25, which means He is set apart. God is reminding the Israelites in exile, in exile who He is. You know, this sums up the second way God provides comfort. God provides comfort by being great above the heavens and the earth. God is the creator. He is not created. Nations are nothing when compared to him. And God is incomparably holy. God being great in these ways above the heaven and the earth provides comfort. Because the greatness of God is what assures Israelites and assures us of our hope and the surety of his word. The greatness of God is what assures the Israelites and assure us of the hope and the surety of his words. Let's move to our last section for today. Verse 27 to 31. God provides comfort by, be, 
by giving. God provides comfort by giving. Let's find out what he promised to give to the Israelites that wait on him. Verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow, or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to, who, to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. For the Israelites in exile in Babylonian captivity, I think we can understand their complaint in verse 27. My way is hidden from the Lord. My right is disregarded by my God. Even if it's not true, it probably felt that way to them. Under Israelite God's chosen people, why are they in such a hard place, being displaced from their home, not able to freely worship their God? Their situation is hard. And I have to be honest and confess that this is also my struggle recently. I am faint and weary, and I felt exhausted at times. And I think hardship can do that. Harsh, hardship often causes disbelief. I think many times we are, we are the same. You know, when life is hard, first we are in disbelief. You know, how, how can things like this be? You know, then we start, we start to believe lies. You know, we start to doubt God, and that doubt causes unbelief to creep, to creep in. How, how, how can we be in lockdown again? Well, this must mean that God doesn't see me or, or care about me. How can a good and loving God not care? Well, maybe there is no God. Or maybe something else. Maybe how can our loved one be, be, be suffering? Why don't they believe the gospel and be saved? Well, God must not be working. Maybe it's, it's, it's pointless to, to believe in this Christian God. You see how we can go down that same line of thinking and start from disbelief to doubt and maybe even to unbelief? So how does Isaiah answer Israelites' unbelief? He goes back to what they already know and what they have already heard. Verse 28 says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? Isaiah asked. Isaiah reminds Israelite with these questions that God is the creator and the Lord is the everlasting God, that God does not faint or grow weary. In another word, God is a source of power and strength. Because he is a source of power and strength, God can give power and strength to those that wait upon him. Because he is a source of power and strength, God can give power and strength to those that wait upon him. 
God will renew their strength for those that wait for the Lord. If you're like me, I, I, I tend to skip directly to the last part. Verse 30 says, Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young, young men shall fall exhausted. Well, my, my kid definitely reminds me that I'm, I'm not young anymore. I'm old. So I think verse 30 should apply to me even more for an old man or, or at least a middle-aged man like me. I'm rightly beyond exhausted. I should just tang ping, right? lay flat, give up directly. You know, where is the renewal of my strength so I can fly like the eagles, run like the wind, walk a million miles? That's what I want. Well, first, we need to remember what we have known and what we have heard because that is a source of power and of strength. If you don't remember what you have known or heard about God, let me remind us of three things we have known and heard just from today. Number one, God's glory has been revealed in Jesus, redeeming us on the cross. God's glory has been revealed in Jesus, redeeming us on the cross. And this is from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 5, and it's fulfilled by Matthew eleven six. Matthew eleven six. God's glory has been revealed in Jesus, redeeming us on the cross. And the second thing, God is both a strong and mighty king, as well as a gentle and loving shepherd to care for us. God is both a strong and mighty king, as well as a gentle and loving shepherd to care for us. Isaiah 40, 10 to 11. You can go back there if you need. And the third thing, God is everlasting and the creator means he is a source of strength and power. God is everlasting and the creator means he is a source of strength and power. Isaiah 40, 28. 40, 28. So God's promise is greater than our feeling. God's promises is greater than our feelings. We need to know that. Especially during difficult time, we need brothers and sisters and trusted Christians to remind us of what we know and what we have heard about God. By hearing and knowing these facts about God, it gives us hope to wait upon Him. That hope renews our strength. It gives those who wait upon the Lord strength. It gives those who are patient in submission to the Lord strength. It lifts our minds up like the eagles. It causes our hearts to be encouraged and not be weary. It allows us to walk this life with strength and not be faint. This is a comfort to know our hope will renew our strength to last through hardship. This is a comfort to know our hope will renew our strength to last through hardships. And this is how God provides comfort, by giving strength to those who wait upon Him. So we should conclude. Our question today was, 
how does God provide comfort? In short, God provides comfort by speaking hope, by being great, and giving strength. God provides comfort by being great, speaking hope, and giving strength. And more specifically, God provides comfort by speaking hope through the gospel, that our iniquity is pardoned and glory of the Lord is revealed through Jesus. And second, God provides comfort by being great above the heavens and the earth, that God is the creator and nothing can compare with him. And number three, God provides comfort by giving strength to those who wait upon him. To have patience and submission, knowing God is the source of power. Well, in the beginning, we talk about being uncomfortable. I think one of the most uncomfortable things for us currently is just uncertainty, right? We don't know if we can go to work or school tomorrow. Well, willing, I'll see you here again next week, but I'm not sure. <laughs> One thing we know for sure is God will still be the same. Last week I heard this quote. It says, belief in the midst of uncertainty is faith. Belief in the midst of uncertainty is faith. Uncertainty is certainly giving us opportunities to grow our faith in God now. We are given hope in the gospel to believe God. God being great above the heavens and the earth gives us assurance to the hope we have in the gospel. And this hope we have from God gives us strength as we wait for God. Will we believe and have faith? Will we believe and have faith? Comfort Comfort says our God. The word of a God will stand forever. Please pray with me. Father God, you are, you are great above the heavens and the earth. So Father, help us. Help us to have faith in you in the midst of uncertainties. Help us also to find comfort in knowing and hearing your word. Strengthen us, O oh Lord. Strengthen us for this week and grant us opportunities to speak the hope of the gospel, not only to one another, but also to the unbelievers around us. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.